This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be studying the closing verses of the chapter from verse 12 to the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a very personal portion of the Bible. This, this is a letter. It's called an epistle. And it's written by Paul and Timothy to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. But here in this section, and really from this point on to the end of the book, there's some personal dealings. And sometimes we might look at this and say, well, that was just for that time and those people and that place. And we'd be wrong to do that. It was for them, but it's also for us today. There are principles here for us to live out as we interact with one another in the body of Christ, in the church. There's a warning here that we're supposed to heed. And there's a lot of interaction within the church. There's a lot of friendships. Uh, there's, there's leadership. And sometimes it gets all tangled up. And this portion, the principles here will help us untangle that. So it is a personal plea, but it has a, a broader application. Verse 12 in chapter 10 says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There it is. That encapsulates a lot of our world today, people comparing themselves to one another and the word says here that we shouldn't put ourselves in that same class where we're just comparing ourselves to one another, but when we're also commending ourselves, like saying, aren't I so great? That's self-promotion. It's rampant in the world today. And God says here in his word that it's foolishness, that it's not wise. Now look at verse 13, if you would. We, however, will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. There is a sphere spoken of here, and you might think that's kind of an odd word to use, but what the word of God is referring to is an area of influence, like a sphere of service that Paul and Timothy have. God gave them certain people and certain regions and certain churches to minister to and to even plant. So when it says sphere here, that means the area that God put in Paul's life and in Timothy's life. It's a sphere of evangelism. It's a sphere of discipleship. And it is included, or I should say the Corinthians, look what it says, are included in that sphere. And it says, especially you, because Paul stayed there in this town, not just for days or weeks, but for years. He was there a long time. I also want you to notice this. That as this is written, the pronouns are we and us. Paul is writing, but Timothy is also writing. It's not I. Yes, Paul was the main preacher, the main teacher, but others were with him in the ministry as he served, as they traveled, as they toggled back and forth from city to city. That was God's design. So he writes, with Timothy, he sends Titus. This is not just Paul. It's a group of leaders, a group of elders, a group of pastors writing. Point number one, I want you to see this. I know those were minor points you might say that I just tried to make, but this sphere of service is appointed by God. Doesn't your Bible say that right there in verse 13? That it's not something man-made. But when God uses us, 
He gives us a certain area of influence for his glory and for his namesake, and it's not appointed by men. The Lord is the one who determines. He is the one that sets forth. He has this appointment for who is to be reached and its effectiveness. The Lord prepared people for Paul and Timothy to minister to. So as you consider what is your sphere of service, know that it's not something that you necessarily pick or choose. You must be willing, but it's something that God does. That totally changes it for me. When I know it's appointed by the Lord, that God has a plan, that he has people for me to reach and for you to reach, and he has people for us to reach together, right? It's not just mine, but it's ours, correct? With our spiritual gifts, God didn't give us those gifts so we could keep them to ourselves. He gave us those gifts so that we could build up the people of God, the church. So these are some of the principles that we see knowing that this sphere of service, a scriptural sphere of... This is going to be hard for me. Too many S's. Scriptural (laughs) sphere of service. I won't try to avoid that again. You have... If you're in Christ, if you've believed in Jesus, you have a spiritual sphere of service. And today, let's see how that operates in the context of the body of Christ, the principles that are here. Lord, where do you want me? Who do you want me with? What do you want me to do? What's my spiritual gift? How does that operate among the believers in the body of Christ? An appointed sphere of service by God himself. Now let's look at verse 14. And I want you to see a a second point here. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. So this sphere of service includes authority, doesn't it? Paul says, I'm not overextending myself to say that you're a part of this sphere that you're a part of the area of influence that God has given me. God appointed, but God also established authority. Paul and Timothy, Titus, these men were pastors. They were teachers proclaiming the gospel to them. Listen to this. When you see gospel, that doesn't just mean that it's a vibe or a kind of music. Gospel means good news. And here it's called the gospel of Christ. So that means the good news of Jesus. Paul and Timothy are writing, we brought you the best news we had ever heard and the best news you could ever hear. That Jesus came to the earth. God himself came in the form of a man. And he taught and he loved and he healed but then he died willingly. God hung on a cross. This great news says that Jesus did that because we needed to be forgiven. Each one of us have fallen short. Each one of us are sinners. We know we have wickedness in us. We know that, that, that we are not perfect. We're far from it. But Jesus came and gave his life, lived a perfect life, and gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. But then he didn't stay in the grave. He defeated death, rose from the grave. And he said, this is the great news, that you can become a part of the family of God, that you can know that you have eternal life, that you can 
be redeemed. You can be bought back from the clutches of your own sin. Paul says, that's the message that we brought to you. This is what brings us together. This is what makes us serve together. This is what makes us like-minded. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good word of God, we brought to you what was given to us. I don't have anything to give you that's worth giving that the Lord didn't first give to me by his word. Everything that you need for eternity is right here. And that's part of our our binding. It's part of our unity. It's come together in the gospel, in the word, all that it says about Jesus and how he gave his life for us. That's a wonderful message, but it says here that he came with that gospel of Christ and that brought us together. There, there was, there was a, a choosing of that gospel by the people in Corinth. Now let's talk about this authority because this is a touchy subject in the church and I don't blame people for, having, for being touchy on this subject. It's one thing to say that Paul and Timothy had authority over the Corinthians. It's another thing to say that pastors have authority over Christians today. Well, we've lived a lot of years as the church, and there's been a lot of abuse of power. There's been a lot of overreaches of power, haven't there? Not just authority, but arbitrary control. So what is the reaction of many people today, even many Christians today, is to swing the other way and say, I'm not going to live like I have any authority in this world, let alone authority in the church. And that's not what my Bible says to me here. That, that swing to the other extreme would be to defy God's design. So many evangelists, so many pastors, so many teachers have just become presenters of inspiring thoughts. And, and I realize that that's all we are for some of you. I, I don't live in la-la land and think like, oh, this is, this is actually a, a, a thing of, of feeding. No, to some, that's who I am. But according to the word of God, that's not the design that God put forth, is it? But there's a measure of actual authority in this sphere of service. Now it's to be operated within the principles of God's word, within the power of the spirit. It's corrective at times, it's comforting at times. It is what the Bible calls shepherding under the chief shepherd. There'll always be those among us who think, who, who are they to, to be leading? Can we just serve however we see fit? There were those who wanted to relegate Paul and Timothy and Titus to just being speakers of inspiring ideas, kind of politicians, pep talks. And there are still those today, but don't let them have their way. Realize that in the sphere of service, by God's design, there is some authority, there is some order that needs to take place. Now, it doesn't need to be this weird hierarchy, and it certainly doesn't need to be this micromanaged control. But I honestly, before God, am thankful when somebody within the body comes to the leadership and they just say, would you help me? I I'm, I'm hurting. I, I need comfort. I, I need direction. I'm I'm letting you into my life. I, I know that I'm not supposed to live this life just being an island. That's how I am. My own personality is like an island. But when somebody comes and says, you know, I'm opening up my life because I know I need the comfort. I know I need the accountability. That's a piece of what the body of Christ, the church is supposed to be like. Now, I wouldn't choose for it to be that way, but that's the Lord's choosing. 
And then there are also times when it's corrective. When one of us needs like that, hey, what's going on? Why are things this way? Am I seeing things accurately? Isn't, hasn't that been happening all throughout this book of 2 Corinthians? And that authority is a part of the scriptural sphere of service. I, I should be protective, not controlling, but protective. I can't stand seeing people sifted away to something else when God is genuinely growing them and drawing them. And Paul says here, there is a certain amount of authority that's exercised. Now I'm going to clarify something. Paul and Timothy were not infallible. Certainly not. Were people supposed to just do whatever they said automatically? No way. In fact, we learn in the book of Acts that the Bereans were commended because whenever they heard somebody teach, they always looked in the scriptures to see if what they were being taught was true. They're called noble-minded because they weren't just governed by some people, but when they had teachers, when they had leaders, even Paul as a pastor, as a leader, they would always come back to the word of God and wouldn't measure it by, do I like this? No, they would measure it by, what, is this really what the Bible is saying? So the principle here is not that the Corinthians couldn't question Paul and Timothy. You know, that whole thing, don't, don't question the authority. That's not what it's saying. But the principle here is that a good work had begun. People had been saved. They had been established. They were growing in God. They needed correction, and they responded to that with genuine change. They were growing closer and closer to God. He was moving in them through this sphere of service. And although Paul and Timothy were certainly not infallible, they were instruments of the Lord. And there are still those instruments today. God establishes solid leaders for the edification of the body of Christ. So the second point is, a sphere of service includes authority. Now let's look at verse 15. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in, another, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So a third point is that this sphere of service is mutually beneficial. Do you see what Paul is writing? Do you see what Timothy is writing here? That it's not just as though people in the church are supposed to benefit from those who teach. They're not just supposed to benefit from pastors and elders and evangelists. But it's a two-way street. Do you see that in the word of God? Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, I have been greatly enlarged in my faith and in my service to the Lord because of you. Yes, I want to bless you. Yes, I want you to be built up in the faith. I want you to be nourished spiritually. I want you to have a place to serve your Savior. And I hope it's in this, this sphere that the Lord has ordained and established. But look here, that it's not just a one-way street. It's us edifying each other. I can honestly say to some of you that my faith has grown because of you. Faith that's grown beautifully, faith that's grown strategically. It's not just the, the pastor or the teacher, but it's us edifying and encouraging one another and increasing in faith like this big web where we're speaking into each other's life. That's this sphere of, of service, this area of influence for the glory of God. May we greatly enlarge each other's faith. 
The body of Christ is not supposed to be like a spoke. Have you ever, like, you look at the old bicycle tire, you got your mags, we used to call them mags, or you got your spokes, and all those spokes are like pointing at this hub in the middle, right? It's supposed to be like a web. And sometimes we get too much like a spoke, where it's like, okay, I've, all my connection needs to be with, with somebody who's a teacher, somebody who's an elder, somebody who's a ministry leader, when really, not that that's bad, but we need to be interconnected, right? Like your body, that's why we're called the body of Christ, is interconnected. Yes, we have various parts that have various functions, but do you know who the head is? It's Jesus. He's the head of the body of Christ. We're interconnected, mutually benefiting from this sphere of service described here for us in the scriptures. Verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. So Paul and Timothy write and say, the gospel is going out. Yes, it's here and you've responded to it. The Lord has saved you and made you a brand new creation, but now it's going out beyond you into other places and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. This fourth point is is a little longer, but it's a sphere of service should be to participate in, not to separate. Look at verse 15. It says, not boasting in in other men's labors. Look at 16. Not to boast in another man's sphere. Paul is writing this because there were those who were coming into the church and they were trying to hijack the ministry that God had ordained, that God had appointed. He is probably referring to a group of people called the Judaizers here, but this can be applied to any person who's coming into the body of Christ and seeking to peel people away. Paul writes, I'm not boasting in another man's sphere of accomplishment. They were stealing from what God was doing. There are those who are among us but they are not with us. They're here for some other reason. They're trying to get a start on their own supposed sphere of, of influence, even if they see that as the ministry for the Lord. And Paul says, that's not how it should operate. Realize that there are some who are among us, but not with us, and all we are is fuel for their selfish ambitions. The attitude is this, well, we need people and we need money, and this looks like a good place to start. <laughs> There's, it's sad, but it's true, right? Some people are looking just to start their own thing. They don't see themselves as a part of that web, as a part of that God-ordained. And it was happening in Corinth, and it happens here. God didn't give us these principles because they're far off. But it happens quite often. Somebody floats in, their, their ambition is, is to get people to come after them. This sphere is something for them to infiltrate instead of join together and follow after Jesus together. So how do the hijackers operate? What are some of the things we know in the word of God about them? Many times they operate through pettiness and insinuation. We saw earlier in the chapter that these who were infiltrating the church would give a compliment and then right afterwards would come a cut. I call it cutting on people. I don't know if they still call it that, right? They would say, well, Paul is a a good writer, but he's really not a very good speaker. Paul's letters are pretty good, but, you know, I just pictured him being way more impressive in person. 
These are the hijackers. A, a little compliment. Oh, I believe most of what he teaches, but you know, I do have some issues with what he's saying. Do, do you want to hear? Or, yes, the children's ministry is really good, but this area over here, it's pretty lacking. And let me tell you about it. At what point does that get to be discord? At what point does that get to be a criticism that's pulling the body of Christ apart? Isn't that exactly the way these Judaizers were acting within the context of the church? They didn't want to go to people who were unreached. Paul speaks in Romans chapter 15 about building on another man's foundation. And he says, look at these people. They don't go out where there's thousands and today even billions of people. No, they come into the body of Christ seeking their own ways. And they're not here to participate. They're here to separate. They're here to peel off. They're here to pull somebody away. I wouldn't do it that way. You know, there's a lot of good things ab about this place. But, you know, if I, 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 why don't they do this? Those are the petty stirrings of hijackers. And I hear them. So how long do we wait? Oh, you should wait a really long time, Eddie and Arthur and, and Nick and Fred. And sometimes there's a certain amount of patience measured. They're like, okay, this person's, maybe they're just here to undermine. I hope they're not, right? You're trying not to get in there. How long do you wait? Um, my dad, as many of you know, he was, many of you, he was your pastor too. He would, he pastored this church before I did. And I was an elder at that time for especially the latter years when he was pastoring the church. And I didn't call my, my dad, dad or father. I called him pop. And sometimes there would be a situation in the body of Christ. And to me, it just looked like, look at this person. It's one compliment, then a cut. They're seeking to peel people off from the good work that God is doing here. And my mentality was, let's finish it right now. You can send me in. Perfect. I'm your hit man. Right? And you, you wouldn't have to do anything. I'll just go to them and, and say, look, what are you doing? You're, you're undermining the body of Christ. And oftentimes he would say to me, wait, let's wait, let's pray. And so there was this balance and I'm learning to pray. I'm learning to wait and say like, I don't want to jump to conclusions at the same time. This kind of discord, this coming in to this sphere of service that God has ordained and is working through and allowing somebody to get away with that. There is a certain point when there's a, some authority like that's, knock it off, that's, that's no good. We live in a time when many people desire to be influencers. I'm gonna use your terminology. And I'm not just talking about the people with fake body parts and brushed up pictures that post themselves doing the daily things of life. I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about we live in a society where people want to have a following. They wanna be esteemed. They want to be looked at as, as something great. They're, that's in our culture. And now it's become a part of the church in many, many ways. Not in, not in all of us, I pray not. But that we would say, I, and the worst part about it is that it can be under the guise of being an influencer for Jesus. It sounds so noble. It sounds so godly. When really, if we're not careful, it can be very self-seeking. They're not very likable. And they see the church as a place where they can finally gain the popularity they're looking for. This is the danger. God had done a great work in Corinth. And that did come through the Lord using Paul and Timothy and Titus. And then they, there were those that came in. 
You know, they say they want to be teachers, but they don't study. They're hoping you won't notice their lack of diligence. They talk about evangelism more than they actually evangelize. They say they want to be pastors, but they're clearly not gifted to be so. They're hoping you won't notice. There are those that commend themselves, like it says in verse 12. They build themselves up. They boast in themselves. And they're hoping that you won't notice that they're not faithful, that they're not gifted. They'd like to tell you that they're a leader instead of show you that they're a leader. Don't fall for it. Don't get ripped off. If you are plugged in and growing in power, if you're gathering with the church and you're growing, you're hearing the word of God and you're heeding it, if you're being served and you're serving in a sphere of ministry, don't be sifted away by hijackers, by naysayers, by self-seekers. Also, don't be a sifter. Some people don't even realize that they're doing it. A little criticism here, a little bit of bad-mouthing. If there's a legitimate criticism, bring it to the person you're criticizing, not to somebody else. The divisive in Corinth did not go to Paul, did they? They went behind his back. That's not building up. Don't you like it when I just look at my notes and not around the room? So that people aren't like, he was looking at me. I saw him. I say, like, participate or separate. Right? I, I hope that you'll participate if that's what God has for you. But, but that divisiveness, we're warned about it here in the word of God. Look at verse 17 now. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So here we go. Who does all the glory, all the credit belong to. It belongs to God. For not he who commends himself is approved. That means not the person who says, I'm so great. That doesn't make them approved. But whom the Lord commends. The person that God says, well done to. That's the person that's commended. Not the person that promotes themselves or compares themselves to others. So we just looked at this sphere of service being one where you should participate or separate. And then we see here, this sphere of service finally glorifies God. Glory in the Lord, in him alone. If there's going to be any glorying, let it be in God. If there's going to be any boasting, let it be in him, not in us. Peeling people off from their faithful fellowship is not glory to God. It's shameful. It's self-centered. This sphere of service that Paul and Timothy write about, it's not first for people, right? It's first for the Lord. And we're not first looking for the approval of people. We're looking for the approval of Christ. We're not first looking for approval when it comes to ourselves. Does this make me feel good? Do I feel right about this? But God, does this please you? That's the question. Commendation from the Lord above all. There was a Bible commentator, John Brown. He wrote extensive commentaries, especially on first and second Peter. But he said this, to fear God is to love him so that his frown would be your greatest dread 
and his smile would be your greatest delight. Like, it's not true of me as I serve God that my greatest fear would be to displease him. Is that really who I am? Sometimes it helps us to think of the countenance of God and to see God frowning on the way we serve and on our motives. That's sad. At the same time, the delight. What is your greatest delight? Is it some sort of sense of personal purpose? Is it some sort of sense of accomplishment? Or is your greatest delight to have God smile on your life? The good pleasure of God, to, to be a delight to him. I will continue to be amazed that you and I can be a delight to God at all. That God can see my life as messed up and as crooked as it gets at times and say, he's a delight to me. To serve the Lord. It, Lord, is, is this your pleasure? Or is this just my pleasure? Do I really think about displeasing you? Do I really think about living according to your ways? Am I really boasting in you? Or am I really just boasting in myself? Am I giving glory to you? Am I taking every single opportunity that I can? If somebody speaks something good, I want to make sure the glory goes to the Lord. If somebody says to you, you did a good job, there's nothing wrong with encouragement. There's nothing wrong with, with somebody saying, I, I see that faithfulness, keep running well. That's good. At the same time, I'm looking for that opportunity to say, I don't have anything good to give that he hasn't given to me. God's word is good. That's where the good instruction begins. Not with a mere person, right? The word of God itself is powerful. It's living and it's active. It's not just the preaching of the word, but it's what God says here himself. The glory be to him. Listen to what God says about his glory in Isaiah 48, 11. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. God says, I will move, I will work for the glory of my name. Will I allow it to be polluted with accolades to people, to self-promoters, to those who are trying to vie for people and, and be territorial? No, I won't let that happen. I will not give my glory to another, God says. I won't share it with you. Have you ever known a glory hog? And I'm not just talking about on your basketball team. You know that person that just, they just, they won't pass the ball and, and they just keep shooting. And maybe they're a great shooter, but it's like, boy, they just, you never played with a glory hog before? Maybe call them a ball hog. And now you understand what that's about? Like there's no sense, very little sense of team. Like they would rather have good stats for the day than win the game, right? And you can see that in them like, oh, I'd rather have the glory for myself instead of it being spread out. How about when that happens in our lives? How ugly is that? When somebody is a glory robber, it can happen in the workplace, it can happen in public, it can happen at work, it can happen in the home. Somebody takes credit for something that they didn't do. Oh, oh yes, that was my idea. I thought that would be a good idea. Or yes, I, I'm very considerate and thoughtful. I, I got that done. And they really didn't. It's hard to find somebody that appreciates that kind of a maneuver, isn't it? 
is that there's somebody here today just because I know you're just, oh, I like it when people do that. But it's, it's hard to find somebody who says, I really like it when somebody steals the credit from another person. Almost everybody would say, that's pretty ugly. That's pretty despicable. Even if you're not the one who's being robbed from, right? Now, how about robbing God of his glory? How much worse is that? The Lord has established, the Lord has ordained. God is working by his great grace. And then a mere person comes in. I was like, yeah, I did that. And if you notice, every time God does something great, I'm there too, right? (laughs) A ministry that promotes itself. I get up and tell you how great Nick is and Nick gets up and tells you how great Arthur is and we just promote, promote, promote. I think what the word is saying, if great things are happening in people's lives, that's the Lord. And this is the sphere that he has given to us to serve in and let's do it with all of our might. But glory goes to him and him alone. Stealing credit from God, connecting yourself all the time with his greatness. He is the one who has empowered. He is the one who has appointed God not sharing his glory. This means that even though it seems as though there are those who are getting glory for themselves right now, that there will be a day of reckoning. And even though there are those in this world that think, man, look at all the credit and all the glory and all the honor that I'm getting. It will not end that way. God will strip that glory hog because all the glory is due to his name. I don't want to be that stripped glory hog. Do you? Look, I, I waded into to taking for me what belonged to the Lord. And in the end, as I stood there before him, the Lord said, that's not a pure work. You were taking the credit for it. Burned up like stubble. Here's the reminder. I, I won't share it. Voluntarily, willingly give God glory today. This giving of glory to God is not just a set it and forget it mentality. If we think like, hey, I'm that kind of Christian that just keeps giving, like I I decided to live that way a long time ago. Well, I'm glad that you decided that way a long time ago, but it's a daily thought by thought, comment by comment, moment by moment decision to say, I'm not gonna touch God's glory. I'm gonna serve, yes, but I'm not gonna, I don't want any of it to be misconstrued as being a part of a mere person's efforts all the time, taking every thought captive, like it says back in verses four, five, and six. I'm gonna live this way, Lord, because it's our tendency to have that which began by the Spirit to be completed in the flesh. Think about that. There are a lot of people and I say a lot on purpose, a lot of ministries, a lot of churches that genuinely began as a move of the Spirit. But then somewhere along the way, that which God began by His Spirit, they've decided to finish in their own power. Is that finishing well? No, it's not at all. And to see that and say, that's not not the person I knew them to be before. Uh, They used to be very humble, very instrumental, very all the credit to God. That, that body of believers didn't used to be that way before. But now look, let's, not, let's make sure day by day, moment by moment, we're giving glory to the Lord. Every soul that's saved, it's because he saved them. 
every person that grows in their faith. It's because he prepared those works beforehand. We're his workmanship. And he knew and planned all along that they would do those works, that they would grow in that fashion, that they would grow in that manner. Glory be to God for that. Look at what he does in our lives. Whether today is the day of salvation or it's the day of sanctification, listen to what the word is saying to us. Whether it's the reception of the gospel for the first time or it's the reminder that we need to live with all glory to him. Let's let the word of God penetrate and let's let the spirit of God empower us to live this out. Lord Jesus, empty us of ourselves. We don't want to be about us. We want to be about you. May we decrease so that you can increase. May this world that's staggering in its, its foolishness, when they see us, Lord, let them see you. Not just a supposed organization, not just a building or not just a, a band of people. Let them see you. Let them see the glory. Jesus, may we never be ashamed to speak your name, to give you all the credit. Lord, help us to operate just like you've so perfectly described in your word. Lord, help us to to seek you with all of our hearts. Give us the thirst and the hunger that that we need to, to be faithful followers. I pray for those here that need a new appetite, new desires, Lord, that you would perform that in them, that you would make them thirsty to live for you, to come together with your people and to come together for your glory. I pray for those who do have an appetite for it, Lord, that they would not grow weary in, in doing well, Lord, that we wouldn't think that, oh, I've been doing this and it just doesn't seem like there's, there's much fruit. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, Lord, and show them if they are indeed on the right course to stay the course, to, to be strong in you and in the power of your might. I also pray for those that are they're hearing, Lord, but um, hearing is, is not enough. They need to receive. I, I pray that, that they would understand and recognize and receive your love for them. I pray that they would see that we're not at all saved by, not in one way saved by what we do, but we're saved because of you, your grace, and it's to your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.